Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with John Hastings, and we talk about ceremonies from mourning to marriage. Uh, he has a show in Edinburgh. If you're in Edinburgh, it's called 10 John Hastings I Hate About You, uh, which is delightful. He's a delightful human being, and we had a lovely chat. Uh, in terms of plugs, my show Mythos is at 8.45 at the Gilded Balloon all through Edinburgh. Uh, if you are in Edinburgh, do come along. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, remember you get one free ticket um, for every ticket you buy, sort of a plus one situation. If you just email me on the day or the day before you want to come, I will put you on the door with that extra ticket uh, once you've bought one. So uh, that's an awkward way to explain it. If you buy a ticket, I'll give you another ticket if you're a patron and want one. Um, other than that, my BBC Radio 4 show is now out, coming out on Wednesday nights at 9pm. It's called Stranger Than Sci-Fi, and we talk about the links between science fiction and science, and that is also available online on the BBC Sounds website. So if you just Google Stranger Than Sci-Fi, Alice Fraser, BBC Radio, you should be able to find that. After it airs, it goes up online, and there are six episodes. So one has gone up, there will be five to go that's uh what else um obviously ethos and the resistance are both available on my patreon main page uh, if you're a five dollar subscriber you get access to those there was a little bit of trouble earlier in the week with downloads but i think that no i know that has been fixed that has been fixed so it should all be uh good but if you have any problems with any of my stuff just email me alicerfraser at gmail.com or message me on the Patreon app, or message me on Twitter, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, and I will do my absolute best to sort it out as quickly as possible. I think those are all the things. The trilogy is still available, and I I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but there I will have a thing coming out later this year that will be exciting. I shouldn't have even said that. If I'm not, I don't know if I'm not allowed to talk about it. Um, I'll find out if I can talk about it and tell you next week if I can. How about that? I will stop blithering and let you get on with listening to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. I'll see you next week. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? My name's John and I'm drinking um, I'm drinking an instant coffee on a Sunday morning in London, England. Recording later than we originally anticipated because Alice Fraser loves getting to a town in England and not looking at a return journey until she's there, evidently. I know. I had... I originally... Yeah, it's a long story, but I had hoped to get out of the show on time to catch the train back. That wasn't a seven-hour train, but was instead a two-hour train. Why didn't you leave the show on time? Just they were running late? They were running late. Here's what you have to do, and this is a big English move, is you go to the promoter and go, this is the time my train is on, and it's really up to you to start, because I have to leave at that time. And then they hem and haw and act like you've just been like, I need you to lick my soiled taint and be (laughs) grateful for it. But... It also makes all the difference in the entire world. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I don't know. Why do you drink instant coffee rather than tea like a civilized person in England would? I don't like tea. Why? 
just don't like it. What about it don't you like? I literally don't know. It's actually something I don't actually not dislike it. It's just I just like a coffee in the morning. It's a bit more brutal tasting. It gives me a nice um, and I'm having a bit of a fucking, my head's all fucked up, so I've been sleeping really weirdly, where I, like, won't sleep for a while, and then I sleep super deeply. So mornings have been a bit of a struggle recently. So I, um, I like coffee, because I feel like it zings me more. And also this whole thing of, like, well, tea has more caffeine. That can't be true, because it does not make you as buzzy as coffee does. Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting... Thing because the things that you like about coffee are the things that I don't like about coffee. Yeah, that's that's the opinion in humanity is we're each two individual snowflakes in the blizzard that is life. Chacun son goût. Um, so. What you fucking call me, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> what have you been wrestling with of late? Oh, it's just doing the Edinburgh Festival, and I'm getting married in October, and um, so it's just there's a lot of admin and a lot of unknowns in my life for a variety of reasons, and it's just. I don't want to do any of it. And it's also one of those things where I am also entering into that sort of phase of life where friends are all in different stages of various things. And a couple of friends of mine are like just single bachelors just having a nice time and still having complaints. And it's just like, you aren't spending, you didn't just spend the cost of a car on a suit that you'll wear maybe Once, three times. Like all this sort of like, you wear it tons. And it's like, no, I won't. Like all that sort of stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm weirdly very excited to get married, even though I'm someone who never thought I would get married and would be very happily not getting married. But it's just all the admin and all that nonsense. Plus, Edinburgh coming up and just wanting to do a good job uh, is really fucking... What about getting married are you looking forward to? And what did you think about getting married that made you think you didn't want to do it? Before? I do not care about ceremony and I do not care about celebration. Neither does my uh, girlfriend. I think that it's, it can be very trite and manufactured. And I haven't been to a lot of weddings that were enjoyable. I've been to a lot of weddings. This isn't to insult my friends who have inv invited me to their weddings. The ceremony was beautiful, all that sort of stuff. But... I have found that a lot of them can be so plastic and fake and not about the ceremony and not about the party. There's a lot of family dynamics that get weird and stuff like that because there is this need to invite a shitload of family that you don't actually necessarily like. Well, I feel like the r ritual of weddings is a ritual that was established for a time when marriage was something different from what it is now. Yeah. So it's it's these it you know before it used to be about the unification of two families, as much as it was about love. Well, it was never actually about love. Love was just sort of the candied layer that you'd swallow the pill. Like it's it was about land mergers and um, you know salt like. It was a ceremonial... Shoring up alliances and stuff It, it like was that. a yeah. contract. It yeah. was a contract for a trade of, of goods for person. Yeah. And, you know, these were the, the clauses of the contract were the love, honour and obey for the procreation of children, all of that stuff. It's interesting because while I feel like you kind of need a new set of ceremonies, and people now kind of adapt it and adjust it and hack it to suit their tastes... Yeah. But I think one of the things that I felt was missing about uh, the funeral was that we don't really, like we have these marriage ceremonies, but we don't really have kind of mourning ceremonies in the way that we used to. 
And that would have felt more useful, I think. Well, there are a huge amount of mourning ceremonies. They're just not... They're not in the Christian faith. Like, Judaism, Islam... Yeah, Both that, have, like, very strict and actually quite useful... Oh, yeah. The, the sitting Shiva is super useful, which is the one where the family sits and then the people come yeah and they sit with you one at a time and if you want to talk they'll talk and you set the tone mm-hmm. and there's also a yeah, prayerful sort of meditate there's prayers at the tops and tails of every day which allows you to sort of meditate on the person and then and then the lighting of the candles thing and there used to be very strict morning protocols in english culture as well you know you would wear black for six months or a year if you were in heavy, if you really felt yeah. like it. Like six months if you didn't really feel like it, a year if you did. Then you'd go into half mourning and there was like certain jewels that you could wear and certain colours that you could wear and so people could look at you and know where you were. And particularly in that phase of after the first three months where people stop saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry, but you feel still like you're marked by death. Yeah, I also, like, I haven't had someone extremely close pass away. I've had, like, aunts and grandparents, um, stuff like that. But I've had sort of people close to me lose extreme, like, extremely close people. And I have also found just watching them in just different ways death was dealt with. One of the big ones, especially after that three-month mark, is I found that a lot of people just won't say, oh, here's what's going on. But one person in particular in my life just was, like, honest for a year, was like, hey, this is what I'm going through, so I can't, I'm not dealing with that. And then it's up to the other person to either be empathetic and understand or just be like, well, what the fuck? But in the end, you just have to decide, I don't care. Yeah, well, I think it's it's one of those things where, in the same way as the word uh, girlfriend nowadays can mean anything from three weeks to 20 years of mm-hmm. uh, relationship, marriage is so many different things as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, like, I don't know if we're going to, like, my girlfriend has, like, very clearly, almost sort of said, like, she's not going to call me my her, her husband. She still likes, she prefers the term boyfriend. Where I think the term girlfriend sounds really juvenile and weird. Yeah, I agree. And woman friend sounds yucky. Yeah. Lady friend. I've always liked the term partner. I don't understand why there's always been this blowback to it. I under, Like, it's like, oh, it's not that romantic. But it's like, relationships at a certain point... Aren't that romantic. Aren't that romantic. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's just, it evolves. Yeah, I know there was some blowback earlier in the year for people using people who were straight using the term partner because that was always sort of the provenance of queer people. But then there was blowback on that from queer people saying surely part of the project of coming out was that we become indistinguishable from any kind. Yeah, other kind and of also wouldn't we shouldn't be not using gendered terms and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I don't this know. This is the fascinating thing about the times that we live in is that any sort of any sort of progress in the positive is met by blowback in from every direction. Mm. Then the, the blowback is corrected or there is pointed out. And then most people move on. And then a subsection is formed in the wake by radicalizing going like, no, that's no, no, no. Well, it's an odd, it's an odd mix because I'm not sure because people are in movements for different reasons. Oh, so, that, yes. That's an v- excellent point. 
So there are people who want to be treated as special because they are part of a you know, minority group or a subgroup or whatever it happens to be. They want to be treated as special without being treated as different. Yeah. Which is a sort of a hard thing to combine. So I'll, I'll use the one of which I'm a part and have a right to speak. As a, when I was working in a law firm as a woman, there were women in the law firm who would say, you know, I want to be treated as equal mm-hmm. in this framework, but then they would also not want to stay late. Which is, you know, this is an interesting question. I don't think anyone should have been asked to stay late, but there was a, a class of partners who wouldn't ask women to stay late. And there was a class of women who were offended by that. I should be asked to stay late. I should be given the same opportunities and the same difficulties as the men. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a form of discrimination, a kind of a, a, a bigotry of low expectations or some sort of pedestaling that you didn't ask yeah. for. But equally, there were women in the same time and place, in the same firm, who were offended to be asked to stay late. They didn't want to be asked to stay late. They wanted to be given. They they enjoyed the event. They they enjoyed the sort of uh, diminutive advantages of yes. not having to stay late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing as we're moving forward and things. Or they are would emphasize their womanliness in situations like that. They say, "Oh, sorry, I've got my period," or that kind of. I would sort of assume there's also the 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 great difference of the idea of the. And this has sort of gone by the wayside a little bit. For a long time, there was a big sort of discussion about women crying in the workplace. And it very much, I noticed it defi- sort of divided feminism of sort of second wave, third wave. But that there was a lot of fr- younger friends of mine being like, well, if you need to cry, you need to cry. And I just remember older women, especially in my life, being like, it's a professional workplace. You can't cry. You have to leave and excuse yourself if you're going to get emotional. Yeah. And it's an interesting... Well, this was the thing, that the workplace was shaped by male norms of behaviour. And so if you want to go into the workplace, do you change those norms or do you fit those norms? If, speaking personally, I feel that, you know, there's certain norms that should be changed. But using specifically something like you're the idea of only men get asked to stay late because of then there's a discrimination of low expectations. That's just weird. If work needs to be done and you and if everyone stays late, it will be done in half the time. Then everyone stays late. I've never understood that sort of mutation of discrimination because I'm just like, you're hobbling yourself. Well, it's like, I mean, it's sort of an interesting one of this idea that women are precious and need to be preserved, which on a kind of an evolutionary level, men are cannon fodder and women need to be preserved, like in terms Mm. of furthering the species. But we are kind of so far beyond evolutionary necessities in our day-to-day lives. For now, yes. For now, for the most part. You know, we don't need to... Every, not everything is a fight-or-flight survival situation. And, you know, the stress of staying late for work isn't the difference between getting on a lifeboat and not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that interesting thing where you'll see meninists saying, well, how you if there was a disaster, you'd be the first to want to get on the lifeboats first. How, how dare you call this equality? It's a kind of a straw manning of the of the position because you have day to day life and then you have survival. Yeah. And there's a difference. There's a difference between saying, "I want you to treat me like an equal in day to day life," and if a man comes at me with a knife, I would quite like any big man who's with me to mm-hmm. take on that situation. 
because I can't fight a man with a knife. Do you have a knife on you? Yes. Yeah, stab the fucker. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, but it's, it, it's, again, it's going into the, it's the, it's the fascinating thing about the times that we live in is there's a lot of confronting of expectations and individual understandings. And added to that, I also find that there is this level of no one's listening to each other. Well, it's as though it was as though the project of equality, saying we should be treated as equals, there was the one counterpoint of there are situations in which people are not equal. Mm. And as though that counterpoint were enough to erase all previous progress. Does that make sense? Yes. It's, I think it's also... It's like saying, well, actually, you know, as much as we'd like to just see people and not see boobs, mm. sometimes you can't get through a porthole on a Navy ship because you've got boobs. Yeah. I guess then we, we have to scrap the whole business. Yeah. There's also the interesting thing of people not understanding that human beings are cyclical and we repeat patterns. Yeah. And that the progressive, like the way things are going now, if you look at the civil rights movement in the 60s, it was, it's literally the same. There's a spark moment that sort of ushers in a big amount of change. Harvey Weinstein going down for sexual assault, Rosa Parks on the bus for civil rights. Yeah, but... But what is interesting in the historical remembrance of civil rights is everyone views it in what I've talked to people, everyone sort of views it as this smooth process. No. Where it's like, it took a decade. Martin Luther King almost got fucking exiled because he was a socialist. Yeah. And essentially only was welcomed back to the movement after martyrdom, which is not something I'm hoping for, you know, Bell's Hooks and the Gorilla Girls now in a modern Me Too movement. But there is this interesting of now we're getting into the minutia of what is equality, all that sort of stuff. And that is important in a progressive, in any sort of change for humanity. Because it does need to be an understanding, and it also, in a way, sh- sort of, it shakes radicals off the dog like fleas, because they just want hardline violent change, that, and they haven't ever thought about actually how to do it or what's going to happen. The logistics. If you book yeah. someone down in logistics, they'll realize they know less about anything than they think they do. But also, I think there's two things that are missing from the narrative of change. Mm. First of all, a lot of work gets done before the spark moment. Absolutely. And not all progress happens from the time after the spark and not all of the movement after the spark 100%. is progress. And so, for example, pre-civil rights, mm-hmm. when there was at least, even if not legal, at least social segregation, what you had was actually no, it was, it a was, thriving black economy. Yeah in which people would send their children to universities and, and there was a kind of a, an aspirational rising middle class that made the civil rights movement possible. possible. yeah. Because you had people advocating in their own interests who had enough power in society and enough people were talking and enough stuff had already changed that these bigger changes became possible. And I think, I think it's interesting to see what has been good since that time for civil rights and what hasn't been good? What things have diminished? Well, they, uh, A, they got a huge blow. If we're using civil rights as an example, civil rights didn't fall apart, but civil rights got fucking kicked in the teeth by all of the southern states galvanizing against it, erecting all these civil war monuments, and then 
essentially screaming it's free speech for taking them down while never acknowledging they weren't put up after the Civil War. They were put up in the 60s as a fuck you to black people. And also that America, a lot of America put their heads in the sand about the treatment of black people and allowed... Because before civil rights, it was actual segregation. After civil rights, it was social segregation to continue in a variety of ways and manners. And you can notice it in strange little ways such as any North American person who comes to England... Watch their face when they hear a black person speak in a received pronunciation accent. There is an inherent, those guys don't talk like that. They talk like, and they will do a streetish accent. And every North American person, the honest ones will admit it, and the fucking liars will go, no, 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 no. But you can see it on their face. I've seen it so many times. And, yeah, but that is, again, the issue with humanity is as soon as a wave moves forward it starts cresting back and it's the hope we hope that we with each sort of crash that on the, the tide's shore coming in rather than going, going out. out yeah that we're not just getting the illusion so that and by the way it always is coming in things of for the human race things in the grand scheme are always getting better it's that we are in the middle of it and it doesn't seem like they're getting better yes all we can feel is the sand being pulled out from under our feet as the wave goes back yeah but here's an example of a thing in which, again, like women in the workplace being an example, uh, it is illegal to discriminate against women whether for pregnancy reasons, for fertility reasons, because they have a female body. Yeah. That's an illegal thing to do. What you see then is that employers won't ask, but they will assume. They'll assume that if you're a woman of a certain age, you're a risk for getting pregnant and they don't want to necessarily if they're anything anything other than a very large company they won't take the risk of hiring you uh many of them won't of course there are plenty of good people in the world but i'm talking about as a general Mm. rule and i've spoken to people who are nice people who say i can't afford to pay a woman's maternity leave and pay somebody to fill in for that time. So I can't afford to hire a woman between the ages of, say, 27 and I don't know how it works in the UK, but they're lying. The maternity leave doesn't come from the employer. At least in Canada? It does in Australia. Well, that's stupid. It should come from the government. Then what are you paying taxes for? You get a certain amount. Uh, but yeah, this is it's a whole complicated thing. The point is... No, but that's it's, that shouldn't be complicated. That should be a governmental thing... You take the pressure off why the business. Should, why should I pay for some woman having a child? Because you're a human being and you're not paying for it. A portion of your taxes are going towards a fund that you, if you decide to have a child, will also be able to dip into. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to have a child unless you can afford to have a child. Like, I'm just so, playing these No, I understand, but then I, then I say to you, um, oh, so you have domain over everyone's body. You know how someone's finances are going to change. And I'm not saying that they can't afford the child. I'm saying that they have the rights to a maternity leave, as all human beings do, and that should be provided to them by the government. Yeah, well, the argument is that you don't have a right to a maternity leave. It's a nice thing that you get. And if you can't afford to have a child and if you can't have a partner who can support that, then you shouldn't be having a child anyway. That's the argument. What it manifests as is they don't ask you, but there is a huge thing, in particularly in large law firms that I worked at, where women who get to a certain age get sent in-house, they get uh, seconded out of the law firm, and so they, they go to one of the large clients and they work in that large client yeah. and 
the lifestyle is better there and they get paid well and they get treated well and they specialise and they maintain their loyalty to the core firm, but ideally they transfer out and you don't have to bear the costs of their maternity leave. Yuck. And it just happens because the employer is not allowed to ask. Oh, no, I'm absolutely aware that the world is fucking hell and all these sort of things happen all the time. It's just constantly confronting by them. I'm just sort of like, what the fuck, guys? This is this is stuff that actually does have a solution. Maybe we should actually fix it as opposed to just fucking nattering on. Why did you switch it from beats to time? Just so I could see what time it was. You don't want to know that we've done 643 beats? Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's fucking, I don't know, it's very strange. Also, the whole sort of children thing, I'm having a, a lot of conversations with my girlfriend about it because she's in her early 30s, and she just, for her own health, would like to have children before she is 35. Mm. And it's a very interesting thing to go from the idea of, oh, I'd like to have kids one day, to be like, okay, in the next two years, we actually have to... Do it. Do it. And what does that mean for your life and your career and... All that sort of stuff, and it's just like... What does it mean for your life in Korea? I don't really know. It would. It's going to take some adjustment. I do a lot of traveling, and I'm away from everyone for a long time, and I don't necessarily want to lose that totally, but I'll just have to be a bit smarter about where I do it and how I do it, and the money I am earning and stuff like that. I had a very nice time in Australia this year, financially speaking, so hopefully if that continues to grow, that is a way to make some money in a short amount of time being away from a family but in the long term affords me a a good nice nest egg to live on so do you find yourself looking at other parents and the way that they handle their babies now in a more kind of urgent way kind of I don't like dad I don't like angry face dads on public transport it bugs the absolute fucking shit out of me what do you mean by angry face you know exactly what I'm talking about the fucking I don't want to do this dad face of the kid. They're cl- like, and it's just like, then don't, don't do it. Don't take the kid out. Do something that you'll both enjoy. The kid is reading your vibe. Yeah. That's why the kid is nattering at you. It's trying to get a reaction out of the two, one of the two people it actually knows exists on the on the fucking planet. Mm. So fucking respond as opposed to blah, blah. I fucking hate it. Like it's just like. I also don't understand the amount of parents, this is a big London beef I have as well, where they're always taking them to weird, busy parts of London where there is nothing fun for a kid to do. (laughs) Why are there children in Covent Garden? There's nothing kid fun in there. Like, take them to a play, sure. But it's like, parks. Take them to a park. Have you ever seen a kid in a park? They're having a great time. But it's just, yeah, things like that where I'm just like, why would you do that? Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, maybe you'll end up an angry face dad on public transport and it'll come back and bite I am you, sure I will, as we all will have our moments. Mm. But, you know, there's the difference between you do it one time and you, you're constantly just like, bleh, 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 you know? The kind of dad who calls it babysitting. I mean, that is absolutely an abhorrence. I fucking hate that so much. I just have to babysit my kids. No, you have to parent your children. Yeah. Just be around them. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of the value that we put on on the making of children. And I'm not just talking about the gestation of children, but the creation of children in the world. Yeah. This idea that a maternity leave should be six months when 
clearly a baby takes more work than that. Maternity isn't... I thought the statistic was maternity leave should be a year. Yeah, but a lot of people go back at six months. You get you, you might get full pay for six months. You might get full pay for... It depends on the company. Um, oh, this is just different. Canada, it is one year full pay. Yes. And even that seems short. For the creation of a human being, one year's worth of wages seems small to me. Yeah, absolutely. And this is like, you have large infrastructure projects that pay off in 20 years. You build a bridge or a tunnel and it doesn't pay off for 20 years. Oh, and, and by the way, the, the reason why we were talking about human beings like they were a commodity is because they are. Countries yeah. that really boomed, you literally invest in your population. So things like free university, that is a good investment in your population because they grow up not to be low-income employees, they grow up to be lawyers and doctors and people that pay a shitload of taxes, which you get back as a government, therefore they pay for themselves. Yes, yeah, so, you know, for example, you look at youth delinquency rates or whatever it happens to be, and a lot of the time, and this is not to blame those parents, but a lot of the time it's because their parents couldn't afford to spend time with them. Yeah. And if you're not connected to a parent, at least one parent... And this isn't going into sort of family unit construction. But I think you need one full-time parent for as long as you can have it to get a proper idea of how you engage with other human beings in the world. If you can't have someone to whom you are the most important thing. Yeah, you need a rock. You need someone that is like you are... It's... Yeah, the person who literally is your... I'm always on your side. I'm always in your corner no matter what you do. On both sides of it, it's also someone that holds you accountable from a very early age of just like, you don't do that. You yeah. know, you, you're a good person. You Drop know. that out of your mouth. You yeah. can't eat that. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I feel like that's so undervalued. And it's, a. I think, a, a key. Well, and this is, yeah, this is also why my head's in a weird space is because I am thinking about that a lot and being like, am I going to be raising a fucking kid over Skype? And it's like, or don't worry about it. It's not a problem you have to deal with right now. But it's just, I like to... Well, it's one, it's one of the kinks in the progress of feminism, I think. That because the structure... Because they're just baby machines and they get very scared about uh, concerns because their brains are drained because of all the <laughs> iron they learn during their periods. I agree, Alice. It's no. a real issue. Because the structure of What power, if there's a spider on one of the pieces of paper and they're a doctor? Someone's going to die! Because the structure of power is a masculine one. And so in trying to get power, you sublimate personal desires to an idea of what you should want yes in order to get power you want power in society Mm -hmm. you want and the only power you see is this kind of power for example corporate power and that suits a government that suits a system to have twice as many workers paying taxes house prices double everything becomes more expensive and that is one form of power in the world rather than an actual revolution where you Reattribute what is valuable, you reassign value in the world. You know, uh, this is just a stupid thought experiment and I've done it before, but what if you paid women for the milestones their children achieved? For the con- contribution you could, their I can tell you right now, here's why you couldn't do that. I mean, of course you couldn't do it, but like, why? Because, you, because people would fucking cheat. Yes. I, I know this because I, I don't know about Canada, or Australia, but Canada had enriched programs. There was tiers of the education you would go into. And they've had to do away with it. And I know this because I saw friends of mine's parents doing it. So many parents, because they wanted the accolades, would just get 
the tests, which you could actually get at any library, uh, and get their kids to memorize it. So they would be in these enriched programs, end up at, like, super hard high schools, and all fucking bought them out. And then, by the way, a lot of them would still get into a better university because they knew these are the schools. Like, it's fucking... Yeah. Crazy. I mean, all of that stuff is mental, and it's an, an, an untenable solution to an un- insoluble problem, but it frustrates me that my sister-in-law feels a, a simultaneous pressure to be there for her child and mm-hmm. to be back at work. Well... And as though those two things could ever really coexist. I don't think they can. I think the real revolution is going to come when, and it's coming sooner than later, probably not in our adult lifetimes, we will have shuffled into senility and senior citizenhood, but our children or nieces and nephews will have to deal with automation replacing human beings in a white-collar sense. They're already replacing it in a blue-collar sense. And then I think there is going to be a reckoning of what is defining us as human beings because all we've ever done is work. Yeah. And you can see what it's done to working class people who have essentially lost their minds and tethered themselves to fucking economy-destroying individuals who, you know, either believe in fucking Turkish people coming through the channel to a rape and a murder or Mexican people flying over the border to rape and a murder, neither of which is statistically true. Um, Yeah. No, of course. And so, and so I think that that revolution you were talking about, that is going to happen in that sense. It's going to happen then because it's going to be a total bottom-to-top bottom restructure of how we actually deal in society. There is going to be a time where it is, it is conceivable that lawyers are replaced by AI. Well, I have a friend who's working on that very thing right now. I certainly felt, certainly at the lower levels of law work when I was a grad lawyer... I never got anywhere near high enough in the ladder to talk about anything interesting. It was work that a computer could do. The amount of sort of judgment and human assessment was present, but it wasn't hugely high. And basically, your job was to flag it up for a superior. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This looks like it's important. And that didn't feel like it was very far away from a computer being able to do it. I don't think it is. I think that's what's good. One of the reasons why I found it deeply unfulfilling. Yeah, and it's one of the big hiccups in all of these sort of things. Are people going to put a fucking stop to it in the same way that automation could have hit industrial jobs a lot earlier, but there were stop gaps? Like right now, the whole controversy with the electric car is it was being developed to be sold to governments. Mm. You as a car government would just have a fleet of electric cars. Essentially one per every adult citizen. You have an app on your phone, you hit it, the car pulls up, you drive off, you pay a membership for that. Every car company went, absolutely not, that will put us out of business. You can no longer use our patents on your cars because we want to be able to sell cars every two years. More importantly, what we actually make our money off of is hubcaps, gas caps, hoods, the bits of car that break that we can sell it so much money. So that is slowed that whole process. So I don't know when this automation revolution is going to happen that will redefine how women feel in the workplace. I, it's also one of those things where it's the unfortunate thing about, I think about this sometimes. It's an unfortunate thing of having ambition and actually liking your job is it does make those decisions much harder. 
Yes, which is one of the one of the things I feel wary about saying that about parenthood or no, motherhood. Not me, mate. Uh, because it is valuable to be a person and to enjoy your work. Yeah. But I feel like there's a there's a missing li- link when there are people who are destroying their lives and their enjoyment of their lives to pay for to work full time to pay for childcare that it almost comes out even and that's because when you come back into the workplace the more time you come off the more you're penalized if having a child were treated like going off to get a phd it would be a different thing it's also one of those things where it's absolutely ludicrous that i'm back on the fact that an employer covers the cost of maternity leave in australia mm. As I understand it, it is covered by the government in Canada. I may be wrong about that. As I understand it, that's what it is. Mm. It might be a combination. The idea that an employee... Why you would put the pressure on employers to do that is one of the most asinine things a government could ever do. And also, if you're an Australian politician and you want to get a shitload of votes, that's another way to do it, by the way. I think governments pay a... a, The government pays a sort of a minimum wage thing. I'm not 100% sure of the... I should should do my research before I mouth off. But I think... But if you're in a high-flying job, a high-flying, for example, legal job, then there's a massive gap between minimum wage for a year and what your company pays you for a year. But it's also one of those things with a high-flying legal job. A lot of those are billable hours, so I assume you have a... They would just be paying your flat salary. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, but you don't, I mean, your billable hours go to the company. You don't get... Wait a minute, lawyers on, don't get billable hours? It depends on what you're working. In a large corporation, no, you get paid a salary and you might get a bonus, but your billables... Just go to the fucking partners? Yes. Fuck that! So the, no, well, they go to the business. So the amount that you, uh, the amount that you bill out for might be... Certainly when I was a young lawyer, the amount they were billing my labor out for for an hour was more than I would make in that day or possibly in that week. Yeah, there's like some lawyers are $800 an hour. I mean, that is low. I'm aware, but it's like 800, 2,000, 4,000. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There was some class action lawsuit I was reading about and they got to 100,000 billable hours and it was in the... It was tens of millions, maybe? Yeah, there were, uh, not to draw the curtain aside too much, but there were black hole cases that if you had sort of done some work that went nowhere, you'd bill it to that particular massive case because it was a multi-billion dollar case. And there's no way they could ever forensically no account. One, no one would have checked. But, I mean, that was that was a, a tip told to me to do by somebody who was clearly ethically problematic in the framework of that business. Yeah, but it's a law firm. They're all going to be ethically problematic at a certain point, especially if you're, you know... The problem for me was when your uh, moral code came in conflict with your legal duty. Um, Explain. So, for example, there was a case in which uh, our side was representing a a large corporation against a small pair of individuals... And there was something that went into the contract. My senior partner said, put this clause into the contract. I said, but clearly they, that's, they've indicated by the way that they're speaking that they don't want this clause in the contract. And he said, that's for their lawyer. 
yeah. to sort out. And it is my responsibility in this in this instance to represent my client's best interests. Mm-hmm. And that in, in, with that power disparity, knowing that my ethical duty was to represent my client as best I could and that the way that the law is set up in this adversarial way is is that it is better, that that comes to better outcomes if you're both fighting each other, that in that dialectic way you come to a better outcome in the end than if you have a theoretically impartial judge make all those decisions on their own because they won't think of the things that you'll think if you're having a fight. Mm. We're very good at fighting. We think of some really original things in the process of fight (laughs) that we would never think of in the process of a pleasant conversation. Mm. It made me feel sick. Yeah. It made me feel sick to think that I was the hand of a, of a big, powerful organisation trying to trick these small human people. Absolutely. And this is not me trying to, like, uh, degregate, date your... Mo- that's not even the right word. Make you feel... Less, but, like, that is the role of a lawyer. Yes, it is absolutely the role of the lawyer. So you did the right thing, which is you stopped doing something that you didn't actually think you were good at. Yeah, there was another thing where it was in a, a different sector. I was I was working for a different partner, and we had to go and make a, a purchase to check a copyright claim. Yeah. And we went there. It was a large purchase, and I took it back to the firm, this thing, and they looked at it and said, oh, actually, this doesn't seem to be infringing the copyright. Take it back. And so, again, a very clear kind of ethical, legal ethical situation. Yeah. My client's money was going to this purchase. They, it wasn't useful. I should return it. I bought it from a very small business, and it was such a large purchase that when I brought it back, the lady looked devastated. When I asked for my money back, yeah. even though I had an absolute legal right to do that, I felt so bad. I went, I went out and I cried. Absolutely. I could totally see it be emotionally devastating and all that sort because, of stuff. Because, of course, you have a right to return goods to a shopkeeper. Yeah. Uh, of course, you are there to represent your client, to check this data. You're not going to waste $2,000 of their money. Mm-hmm. But the, the joy that it gave this shopkeeper for me to buy it, pretending that I was representing myself, and the devastation of having to give me back that money... Also, I know it's really emotional, but also as a shop, usually they have above a certain amount. If you buy a lot of things in bulk, they just go, you can't return it. It was a single item. Even still, like the, you can't return most, like, you know, you know, ever been like expensive shops? Yeah. They will have a no refunds clause. That's in Australia. That's not legal. You have a right. To what are you talking about? It's a free market. Purpose. No, we have a regulated market in Australia. Oh, it's a, I, <clears throat> I did not realize how regulated that was. That's a ridiculous consumer, regulation. Consumer regulations mean if some, means if something is not fit for purpose, uh, you have a right to return it and get a refund. How long afterwards? Well, in this case, it was in the sa- on the same day. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but yeah, it was just that I thing of knowing... I know what you but I know you can't talk about I it. Can't, I can't talk about it, but uh, it was just that thing of knowing that there was a kind of, in many ways, a higher moral framework that you have to believe in if you're a lawyer or you have to have no morals at all and just do what the case requires. But that my kind of personal... uh, personal moral code Mm -hmm. included things that this larger framework didn't. So 
you would have had to believe either a lot more in the rightness of the legal justice system than I did or a lot less. Yeah. And and I felt like I was falling short. That I, I do genuinely believe that the legal justice system, the adversarial court system, the idea that everyone deserves a representation, that it all, you know, this... I think all of that is good, but on the ground, in action, it felt bad. Yeah. Well, you did the right thing and you left. Yeah. And I know that someone is going to be going, decrying all the privilege to leave, and I do agree up to a certain point, but it is also one of those things where sometimes you have to make tough, selfish decisions and walk away from a sure thing because... Ethically, it's dubious and something like that. And some of you might be going, but not everyone has the money to do that. Well, it was it was tough. I guess I don't really under, like that's. It's one of those things where in the modern era, there are certain things that are thrown, for lack of a better term, in my face of like, well, that is a decision of the privilege, and I'm like, well, yeah, or just fucking well, t- take the risk and walk away. It's not worth. I, I think that's a fallacy. Because it's implying, I mean, in situations where your privilege allows you to hurt somebody else, yes, that is a relevant call. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can do that because you're privileged, but just think about how it feels for the taxi mm. driver to be left waiting outside your house for 12 hours because you can afford, you know, that, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. But in this instance, when it is a decision that affects only me and perhaps my immediate family, and if I have any dependents, yes, um, in this instance, why not take advantage of a privilege? If it doesn't hurt somebody else, what is what is ethically wrong with enjoying your privilege in that instance? I'm not taking food from somebody else's mouth. I'm not... I'm not I'm taking... In, I'm, I'm actually the opposite of taking a space from somebody less privileged than me because there are people, as I was constantly told, people who would have killed for my job. I'm and when in, I got to the point of going, good, I hope they kill me, was the time that I thought I should leave. I'm in utter agreement with you. I, I think that sometimes it's so it's your own decision, it's your own life, and you made the right decision. I can see how upset even these anecdotes are making you. Yeah, it didn't it didn't suit me. My father was doubtful, and to a certain extent, he was the person who I was taking advantage of because he and my mother had put me through school, and they supported me. Uh, but you're still keeping up with your bar fees. Like, if worse comes to worse, you could fucking... Yeah, yeah, I, I keep that up. But uh, if worse comes to worse, I could fall back. But my point was, you know, they were very proud of me for ticking a lot of educational boxes, mm-hmm. getting a scholarship to here and getting good marks there. So the only person who I disappointed was my father and potentially my capacity to look after my parents as they, they get old and die. It's a weird. It's a weird part of growing up as you realize, oh, like I might have to fucking help out this feller. Yes. Like, yeah. Friend, I, like friends of mine who had to loan money to their parents, and I just am so grateful I've never had to do that. I was like, I don't know if I could. I've I've only ever asked my parents for money once, <laughs> and he my oh, I asked my dad, and he said no. <laughs> he said no. Yeah. Which is odd, because I'd always sort of had that privileged assumption that if I did, he would. And, and never had. Uh, but fair enough. It was early on in my comedy career mm-hmm. where I wanted to do... Uh, I wanted to get a, a promoter for Melbourne, mm-hmm. but couldn't afford it out of pocket at that time. 
And I said, but it obviously it'll mean I'll sell more tickets and I'll make it back. It'll be a loan. Yeah. And my dad said, if you can't make this work, this was my first year out, if you can't make this work, then it's not a job, it's a hobby. And so I did it without a promoter and so on and so forth. Yeah, he is sort of right. He's absolutely right. I don't resent it. But it was just the first, it was sort of the first time I'd asked and assuming that he would say yeah. The problem with that decision is there's no wrong way to do it, which is also going, yeah, that's fine, but like any sort of loan interest so you appreciate it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, and that's it, like that I think was absolutely the right choice for my dad to make. And I am in the privileged position that if everything goes to shit, I can sleep on my parents' couch without question forever. Yeah. Oh, my God, no. Which is a a privilege that many, many people do not have. No, I had a a financial issue this year and had to borrow money um, from a parent, and it was... I didn't even... I did not even ask. I just went under the assumption I will just figure it out, and it was proposed to me, and it was sort of just like... It was like I didn't realize I was being choked, and then there was fresh air. And I'm utterly aware of the fucking privilege that that has afforded me that my parents have both in jobs that have allowed them to have I yeah the retirements. But I also I don't think being aware of your privilege is is um, I just contradictory I, with enjoying your privilege. What's the point of having privilege if you can't enjoy it? I completely agree. You can also at that point go, isn't it great that I have this privilege? I hope everybody has has this privilege. Not me. Then it would change and not feel as special. Um, But it's also, but it is, it is one of the things that we live in nowadays is that if you aren't, it does seem, and this is from firsthand personal experience, in a lot of cases, you do have to flag up and go, I am aware of what I've been afforded. It's really nice because people... Go fucking bananas. But this isn't... I think, again, this is a weird way that the modern kind of discourse has gone. It's because we are... And I think partly framing it as privilege is the wrong thing to do. It shouldn't be considered a privilege to not be stopped by the police when you're walking down the street. I think that is a right. Like, it's not not a matter of tearing people down who have privilege. It's about bringing people up. I understand, but again, in any social progress of mu- movement, you do enter in, for the lack of a better term, the reign of terror portion. <laughs> and that is exactly... Not to say that there aren't people being taken down who don't deserve it, but that is where we are right now. Mm. And everyone just going, well, are we going to have to be like this forever? No, you're not. Yeah, we're lucky enough that human progress has gotten to a point where the reign of terror is exacted in sort of people throwing fruit at you in the stocks, not in you you being gutted from the tower. Yeah, you're being... Someone throws a milkshake on you because you're a cunt. Um, And it's... I think people simultaneously overplay and underplay the effect that shame has on the human psyche. I think it is a terribly cruel thing to do to somebody to subject them to bullying, intimidation, humiliation. Mm. And you'd better be pretty fucking sure before you throw that milkshake that the person you're throwing it at deserves it if you're going to throw a milkshake. Yeah, so using the people of who got milkshake, Nigel Farage, I, I, Joe Brand got in trouble for saying, oh, why didn't they throw battery acid? Mm. Like, I mean, I know she was making a very funny joke. I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment of that joke. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 I'm very uh, non-violent, but then I don't kill mosquitoes, so I have no leg to stand on. See, um, I'm... I'm not a violent person, but I'm getting pretty close of just going, 
Fuck it. Kill him. I, I, yeah. The problem with it is I'm also aware enough that that's not going to do anything to help the situation and won't even add a moment of catharsis. I will just feel sad that a human being has died for a fucking no reason. I also think... That but in my fantasy world, it solves all the problems. If you... This is, this is the one counterpoint I would make to that before we wrap up and I let you go, um, is that if you're sure you're right... In an action like that, for example, throwing battery acid on Nigel Farage. Absolutely. If you're sure you're right, you'd better be so sure that you're right and also willing to admit that everyone else who is that sure that they're right is allowed to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, and that's why it's one of those things where I, on paper, in a fantasy world, I'm like, yeah, do it would never want anyone to actually do it in real life because anyone who is that sure of something, in my humble opinion, is mad. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you online, John Hastings? At the John Hastings, coming to my Edinburgh show. Ted John Hastings, I hate about you. 9.30 at the Monkey Barrel, come to the show. I'm going to say that in a way that doesn't peak out the audio. 9.30 at the Monkey Barrel, at the Edinburgh Fringe. John Hastings, colon. Ten John Hastings, I hate about you. Ten John Hastings, I hate about you. He's at the John Hastings on all of the social media. Yeah, dog. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Lally rifles all, lally rifles all day. 
Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lovely rifle, doll, I 